to Walk in the Truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, you know, I've, I've noticed a statement that we make from time to time, and the statement is, some things never change. Have you ever said something like that? Some things never change. That's the subject of what we're talking about today. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 9 today. Today we'll finish uh, this series called Finding God in Chaos. And we've been walking through the book of Genesis. We spent time in the fall looking at the origin series which was the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. And if you want to go back and review some of those, you'll be able to see those online. And then we moved into finding God in the chaos that mankind created on the other side of the Garden of Eden when man sinned. So we've been in this series for about four or five weeks. We'll complete it today with a a look at the fact that some things never change. So Genesis chapter 9 today, beginning in verse 1. About a year ago, my wife and I took a trip to Colorado, and we enjoyed driving, and so we drove to Colorado, and one day we decided to get on a road called the Trail Ridge Road. don't know if you've ever heard that, but the Trail Ridge Road is a road that rides across most of the major peaks in Rocky Mountain National Park. In fact, as you drive on Trail Ridge Road, you're normally at 12,000 feet above sea level, getting near mountain peaks that are almost 14,000. Uh, feet above sea level. There are four major peaks that are on that trail ridge drive that are around 14,000 feet. Now, for for perspective, 14,000 feet is about halfway of the height that you fly when you're flying in a jet airplane from one place to another. We're talking about way up on the mountaintops that we are driving. And those four major peaks are incredibly beautiful and unforgettable. And as we drove through that mountain range, we realized that what we were at is an epic spot in uh, all of North America, and we just couldn't forget those four mountain peaks. There's a whole lot of terrain that we did forget about, but not those four mountain peaks. I want to talk to you about four mountain peaks of truth, four things that never change, four truths in the Scripture today that will stand out as mountain peaks in your life. And when you're old, you'll look back and you'll say, some things never change. And those four things that I'm going to mention today are among those things that never change. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the setting of uh, Noah coming out of the ark. And as Noah comes out of the ark to the, uh, the land that now is dry, and the seas and the waters have abated, God is speaking to Noah. Here it is in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the first command. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands. They are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be the food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast, I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. 
Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Let's pray today. Father, thank you so much for this text and the many others we'll look at today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for clarifying, revealing to us that there are some things in life that will not change. And we need to know about these things in order to navigate them and in order to know what the rescue from them is like. Father, today, speak to each of us in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Now, the four points I give you today are four points that are what I call mountain peaks, as I've said, and four chapters of history in this era. We'll cover many years today as we finalize this series and work through the life of Noah and those that followed him. And it comes in four major points, and after I make those points, I'm going to share with you what the mountain peak of that truth is, what, what the thing is that never changes. So first of all, let's look at the command. The command is what we start with in verse 1 and 2. God says to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the, er- and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky. Now, there are two things happening here in this text. One is to multiply and the other is to fill the earth. Now, you would think that would be obvious, right? Do you know how many people come off of that ark? Do you remember? Anybody remember how many there are? There are eight people on the planet Earth at that moment. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wife. That's all. The animals that came off came off with these eight people. And now this whole globe, as we know it now, in the condition it's in now, with all the land mass and all the seas and the mountains and the valleys, as we know it now, only eight people on the planet. So it seems to me that that's an obvious command to start with. You need to multiply. You need to have more people. You need to grow and replenish and, and, and dissipate across the earth. Be everywhere on the earth. So that's an obvious command, but that's what he gives Noah. And so as they begin to do that, realize that the environment is not the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. There was harmony in the Garden of Eden. Remember the harmony that was there? The harmony between Adam and Eve and all of the animals. But as we pick up Noah's life and what happens afterwards, there's no harmony there. In fact, the word terror is used. There is all kinds of opposition in the animals, among the animals, and man. And so we have this statement that's made that there's potential conflict all the way through creation. Remember what happens now. Adam and Eve in the garden lived in perfect harmony, took matters into their own hands, fell to temptation and sin. The result was sinful mankind. Their son, Cain and Abel, the other son, had conflict. Cain killed Abel. Seth was born. Then mankind began to multiply to the point where God says, the evil and the wickedness in every heart is so much that I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's how we got to the ark. And that's why God judged the earth. So now when we look at Noah and his life on the other side of the ark, we're looking at the fact that the world is not living in perfect harmony. After the flood, God reminds Noah his primary work and his purpose is not through the animals, but God will work through the man. For instance, when you look at verse 6, and this is a key point that I want to make out for you today. The Bible says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made him. 
But I want you to stop and pause for just a moment and look at the fact, the truth of this statement. Man is unique among all of the creatures that God created, and his life is to be protected. That's what this says. From conception onward, God values the life of mankind. As a matter of fact, this verse is the verse that is the basis for the death penalty for those that are familiar with it today. Even so, even more so, animals that take the life of a human being are also to be put to death in nearly every culture. And all that points to one undeniable truth, and this is mountain peak number one. Mountain peak number one is that God values the life of every human being above all else in creation. Now, I'm an animal lover. I have pets at home. I've always loved animals. I think animals are so beautiful. I, I think some of these animals, some of these creatures, we don't deserve them. They love us so much, and they're so faithful to us. But God does not value animals as much as he values human beings. You are of infinitely more worth to God than any animal on the planet. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter if you are a child that's been conceived and not yet born. God values you. It doesn't matter if you're 90 years old and don't feel that you can contribute to life anymore. God values you. It doesn't matter what color you are or what ethnicity you're a part of. It doesn't matter what group you are with or what family you're from. God values you, male or female. God values you. And the mountain peak of truth here is that you are made and created in the image of God. Now, why would God need to reinforce that? Why would he need to stress that again? Well, he needs to stress that because the flood was a moment where God said, my spirit will not strive with mankind anymore. He is so wicked, so evil that I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth except for Noah and his family. And now God on the other side of the flood says, man still has the image of God in him. As wicked as we're capable of being, we still also have the capability of knowing God. Let me tell you something today. You're of great value to God, and God records this in the words of Scripture so that you might know and so that you might remember. So mountain peak number one, God values the life of every human being. Now, as we walk through this text, you'll notice some other things that are happening. So you're going to see that the, for the first time, mankind is told that he can eat anything on the planet. For example, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Every living thing that is alive shall be food for you, which makes many, many people in the room happy. Because we like to eat meat, or we're hunters and we like to hunt. Now, I said this in the earlier service, and nobody laughed. Nobody thought this was funny, but I know people who can quote Genesis chapter 9, verse 3 better than they can John 3, 16. <laughs> because they want God's approval upon their hunting prowess. But the reality is God values us so highly that everything else is expendable in the eyes of God. It's also important to note that heaven is for humans, for mankind. Will there be animals in heaven? Maybe, but not much is mentioned about that in heaven. But what you need to remember is God does mention that people will be in heaven and that we are valued by God above all else on the planet. Keep that in mind. You are valuable far above any other creature that God has created. Somebody say amen. I mean, we're talking about you from up here. You are valuable. You are loved by God. And as we walk into this mountain peak truth, you need to remember that in spite of sin, in spite of the flood, 
In spite of all the evil, wicked things that mankind did, God still has a plan for man. And this will never change. God will always love people. You know, when I read the Bible, I find these verses popping up and reminding me of just how much God loves me and how much God loves you. Let me share a few of those verses with you. Jeremiah chapter 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've drawn you with loving kindness. That was God speaking to Israel. John 3, 16. Jesus says about the whole world, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. That's the love of God. That's the compassion of God that's very apparent from the beginning, and that will never change no matter what you do, no matter what mankind does. God still loves mankind. Mountain peak number one, some things never change. You are loved and valued by God and always will be. You need to keep that in your mind. Keep it in your mind when you're feeling low because you've blown it. Keep that in mind when you've done something that seems like it's so despicable that God couldn't possibly love you. Keep that in your mind when your own self-image is so tattered, so torn, so beat up that you wonder, how could God love me? When you see your imperfections, when you see all the ways that you fail, when you and I see those kinds of things in our lives, we need to be reminded that as imperfect as we are, God still loves us, God still values us, God still has a plan for us. This is not the preacher telling you this. This is the Word of God that tells you this. This is what God records in the Bible. Pound and peak number one. It'll never change. God will always love people. As we move through the text, we also see a second key point and a key mountaintop. I call this point the covenant, the covenant. Because in verse 16, actually verses 8 through 17, but specifically verse 16, we see God refer to a covenant. Notice what it says in verse 16. When the, when the bow is in the cloud, that would be the rainbow, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant. See that phrase? The everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. By the way, this is the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible. And it's actually used seven times from verse 8 to verse 17. So God is saying over and over, this is my covenant. This is the covenant that I have with you. You say, well, what's a covenant? A covenant is an eternal promise. And the eternal promise is that in spite of the judgment of the earth through the flood, God will never again flood the earth. And he puts this natural phenomena in the sky to remind us of his eternal covenant with us. Think about the rainbow. We've got a few pictures up here. And you look at that rainbow, whatever context you were in, maybe you were neither sea when you saw this. Maybe you were in the mountains and you saw a rainbow. Whatever form that took, you saw a rainbow that you may or may not have known the meaning of, but you saw it very clearly in the sky, something you couldn't even explain how it was there. You couldn't really scientifically explain how all that worked, even though there are explanations out there. But sometimes it appears and sometimes it doesn't, and yet all of us have seen it. I'm going to take a quick poll in the room. Are you ready? How many of you, you have seen, how many in this room have seen a rainbow with their own eyes? Would you raise your hand if you've seen a rainbow with your own eyes? All right. Some of you have not seen a rainbow with your own eyes. Are you blind or have you just not seen it? <laughs> I mean, are you not looking up? Most of us have seen a rainbow with our own eyes. Now, let me say this. The reason God allows people to see rainbows is to remember his promise. 
so that you would remember his everlasting covenant with mankind that in spite of sin, God's graciousness is still there. In fact, this is the mountaintop of this particular point. The rainbow was a reminder of a gracious God who is all-loving, all-powerful, and forgiving. Every time you see that rainbow, it's a personal reminder to you that God is all-powerful, that God is loving, that God is forgiving. Some things never change, and this never changes. No matter how far you feel from God, that rainbow is there to remind you. Now, imagine how the early people of the earth saw that rainbow. And remember how reassuring that must have been to them. The last time it rained in most of their lives, the flood occurred, right? Or the stories they heard from Noah onward were, when it rains, when it rains big, then the flood will happen and everybody will die. And God says, no, that's not going to happen. Not going to happen again. I've already judged the earth, and now I'm putting this eternal covenant in the sky so that you'll know it'll never happen again. My response to mankind, no matter how wicked he may be, is with graciousness and love and forgiveness when they turn to me. So it's important when you see that rainbow to know that it will never again flood, that God will not again wipe all of mankind off the earth through flood. And this is an eternal image for us. It's constantly in the sky. It's constantly reminding you that God is speaking to you. Sometimes people say, you know, I've never heard God speak. Open your eyes and look at a rainbow and God's speaking to you. But not only then, God speaks through all kinds of things that he has created to be reminders to us. When I watch the sun rise and when I watch the sun fall, just as the scripture refers to this, we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. No matter how long the night or how difficult it is, the morning's going to come and the sun's coming up. And at the end of the day, it will go down. The faithfulness of God is what that should remind us of. Have you ever seen an eclipse? And when you see the eclipse and the sun darken for just a moment, it's a reminder to anticipate the last times when the sun will grow dark when Christ comes back. And it reminds us that God is in control and he speaks to us from the signs that he's placed in the universe. Or what about the stars and the constellations? They're a reminder that God is a creative God. He knows the name of every star, the Bible says. And he's arranged them in such a way to remind us of his design. Or what about the seas? Where the seashore comes up to a certain place and stops right there. Instead of overrunning everything, it almost always stops right there. The book of Job says, where were you when I created the seas? When I said to the proud waves, this far you shall come and no more. I, the Lord, did that. Man, you just look around you. You see God speaking to you. You can see God reminding you of his love and his passion and his power. So mountaintop number two has to do with the fact that God is all-powerful and he's gracious and he's loving and he's forgiving. And this will never change. This will never change. Psalm 103 is one of those great passages in the Bible that reminds us so much of all that God does for us. I'm going to read part of this passage. It says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us. That's a word that was used when God judged mankind. My spirit will not always strive with man, he says. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What an incredible passage that describes the amazing love of God and the amazing grace of God for those of us who fear him. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it amazing to go to Psalm 103 and realize that there are so many benefits in knowing God? In fact, Psalm 103 begins by saying, forget not the benefits of God. That we have this mountain peak of a reminder in the rainbow and the character of God spelled out in the Bible. When you see the rainbow, think of grace. Think of his mercy. Think of his loving kindness. The rainbow will perpetually be in the sky to remind us of how God, how kind God is, and every generation is going to see it. Now, you just imagine how many times the rainbow has been seen since Noah's day. I've seen it. My children have seen it. My parents have seen it. My grandparents have seen it. My great-grandparents have seen it, and on and on and on. God is perpetually reminding us of his goodness and his grace. But you know, when we die, when you and I die, and when we spend our eternity with God, we'll also see a rainbow in heaven. Did you know that? In the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, as the Bible says, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, and there was a rainbow around the throne. (laughs) What a powerful reminder of God's grace, God's love in the heavens. So here's the mountain peak. God is loving, and God is gracious. For those who fear him, it's such an important mountaintop for our life. Some things never change. That never changes, and aren't you glad? Then the third key to the scripture is the curse, the curse. If you'll go to verse 20 to 22, you'll find one of the most embarrassing stories in the Bible. And one of the things I love about scripture is that even though sometimes the characters of the Bible embarrassed themselves by their sin and all the things that they did, God still records that so that we can learn from their lessons. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But here we have Noah. Noah, the man who found grace in the eyes of God, the man whom God used to build this monstrous ark by which he saved mankind. Noah makes a tremendous mistake. Look at what it says in verse 20. Then Noah began farming and planting a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. Now, what an embarrassing story. Even great people like Noah embarrassed themselves by sin. And even after the flood, when he knew how God dealt with sin and the wickedness, when the wickedness of sin had been removed in the fact that all mankind's been blotted out, then these eight people unfortunately, still have the nature of sin residing inside of every one of them. You know, that is the thing that never changes about humanity. We'll always be sinners until we're rescued by Christ. You remember what it says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, I'd like to think that man gets better year after year. I'd like to think that we evolve into better creatures after time. But I look around me today, and I don't think we've evolved very far in terms of being better creatures on the planet. Do you? I mean, do you have any evidence that we're getting better? The reality is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have. And one thing never changes, and that is that we'll all deal with sin at some point in our lives, and sin will always bring destruction just like it did in Noah's life. So this man, Noah, 
was used by God to rescue mankind, and it demonstrates that anyone at any time, no matter who we are, can sin. And in this case, Noah's drunkenness leads to shame, and that shame leads to Ham's mockery, his son's mockery. And when the others heard it, they covered Noah up, but Noah knew that Ham and his son Canaan had mocked him, and ultimately Noah cursed them. The outcome of all that was that it prophesied the future of what we know as the Canaanites today, who were enslaved to false gods and atrocious sin. Now, sin always creates a human mess, no matter who does it. So here's the mountain peak that we need to realize. The mountain peak is sin will always destroy. Though we need to be reminded of the domino effect of the first sin, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, walking in perfect innocence and harmony with God, and yet when the temptation comes, they give in to temptation. They find themselves separated from God by the sin, and the domino effect of that was incredible. God says, curse is the ground. God tells them that they will find cursing in their future as well. They had their first children. Cain and Abel. Cain rose up and killed Abel. I mean, it just keeps on going. The, the domino effect just keeps on going. Eventually, they're cast out of the Garden of Eden, and the result is what proceeds to flood. Sin always begets sin. Sin always impacts other people. It will ultimately destroy. That's a mountain peak that you and I need to remember, and that never changes. That never changes. When I was in high school, uh, our principal uh, set up or arranged for a vehicle, a car, that had been in a horrific accident to be placed near the front door of the school. And for about a week, we would go out from the high school and see that car. And uh, it was a car that was in a wreck that we were very aware of, took the lives of human beings. We knew the story. And so every time you looked at the, at the car, you were reminded of the whole story of what happened. Because what happened was someone drank that led to drunkenness, which led to a catastrophic car wreck, which led to the death of the driver and the grief of his family, which also le led to the death of the two in the other car who were parents and left their children parentless. And you couldn't help but look at that car and say, wow, what a domino effect of sin. And we walked away being impressed by how costly sin is. But that's the point of this text with Noah. Sin is a curse that affects many people and requires the grace of God to rescue us from it. Some things never change. And that thing that never changes is, is that sin is always destructive and it always leads to the need to be rescued. When you're old and gray, when you're at the end of your life, you'll say, some things never change. Sin always destroys. Then we get to point number four. Point number four, the conflict the conflict. In Genesis chapter 10, verse 5, we find the after effects of the Tower of Babel and God's judgment on that Tower of Babel. And here's what it says in Genesis 10, 5. From these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Now, stay with me for just a moment. When you read Genesis 10 and 11, you'll realize that by chapter 11, you're looking at the story of the Tower of Babel, which the Bible goes into great detail for. But it's going back to comment on chapter 10, verse 5, which tells the result of the Tower of Babel. Now, the Bible does this from time to time. For example, we walk through Genesis chapter 1, 
and we saw the overview of creation. We looked at chapter 2, and we dove into the creation of mankind in particular and specifically. So Genesis 2 commented on the result of Genesis 1. That's what's happening here. But if you summarize Genesis 10 and 11, the verse I read says that right there, that the overview is a divided group of languages, and the details of the Tower of Babel are to follow. Now, that's the story of a massive conflict. Let me tell the story for you. There is someone named Nimrod in the Bible who's quite a figure, and you find him in chapter 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Genesis. Nimrod was a, was a warrior of men. He's a hunter of men. You'll read it in your Bible that he's a great hunter, but he was greatly respected, but he was a hunter of men. Not many people were on the planet, but this man was one who hunted men down and who somehow caused them to serve him in a variety of ways. That's the story of a massive conflict here. He's a city builder, and he actually builds the city of Babel, which we now know as the city of Babylon. You find that in Genesis chapter 9. So here's this story unfolding. Nimrod, this man, rallies the people to settle in one place, which is an ambition that God did not give him. God did not say to do that. Nimrod represents man's plans without God. Man's plans without God. Whenever I see Nimrod in his story, I think of all of us that have ambition to want to do what we want to do, and they are plans that God did not make, and you see it perpetually in life. You see it all around us. But I want you to see exactly what happened and how he built this tower and what God did. So now we turn to Genesis chapter 11 for that detailed look. By the way, at this point, mankind is 100 years past Noah, and there are approximately 1,000 people on the planet. We're still not talking about a lot of people on a big planet called Earth. If you read Genesis 11:1, it says this. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about that as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone. They used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the earth, which, by the way, is what God said to do. All right, now you see the specifics of what happened that led to the result of Genesis chapter 10. But let's stick with this for a moment. Just imagine if we had a thousand people in the room today, and we're not far from that, would you imagine that we could build a city that reached into heaven? I mean, just look around you. Do you look like you're sitting next to someone that can build a city that reaches into heaven? I mean, I think about this, and I think a thousand people, and we build a city that reaches into heaven. Can we really do that? There must have been some incredible motivation behind these people because they begin to build this tower that we know as the Tower of Babel. Now, what's going on here? What makes this man strike out and do his own thing apart from God? Well, I think he's motivated by fear. It may be that they're building this tower because they're afraid that God will flood the earth again and that they'll all die, in which case they're not believing the rainbow, not believing the promise and the everlasting covenant of God. Or it may be, as the text says, that they simply have this desire, this ambition to make a name for ourselves, to build a city that reaches into heaven because we want to do it right here and right now. And part of this is, God said, be scattered and go to all the ends of the earth. And Nimrod says, along with the people, we're going to stay right here on the plans of Shinar. 
say, Pastor, why are you building this story up in this way? Because I want you to see what happens when man has his own plans in contrast to God's plans. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 11 that God sees what they're building and says, Come, let us go down and let us destroy this city, confound their language, and scatter them across the face of the earth, which was God's plan for them in the first place. I read the story of the Tower of Babel, and I am reminded that my plans are nothing if they're not in alignment with God's plans. When I read the story of Nimrod, I think I shouldn't be too ambitious, and you shouldn't be too ambitious. We should know what God wants us to do and come into alignment with that and that above all else. So here's the mountain peak. The mountain peak that you're going to remember is that when we plan our life without God, we regret it to the end. Some things never change, though. And those some things that never change is we're always going to have our own ambition. We always want to build our own way. We always want to go our own direction, sometimes in contrast to God. And the thing that never changes is God at some point will bring it all back to the starting place. I know this in my life. I've been back to the starting place a a number of times. I may even be well-intentioned and sincere in what I want to do in life, but the bottom line is God has a plan for my life, and he wants me to be in alignment with him and hear him and follow him in every way I possibly can. And when I do that, I find my life to be filled with harmony, harmonious, and I have the blessing of God in my life. But when I go my own way, the way Nimrod and these people went, I always find my plans frustrated in some way. And I've learned that some things never change. Build life on your own, you're going to be frustrated. It's going to come down. When you build your life without God, then we regret it in the end. I just wonder, what are you planning to build? What are you planning to do? Are you including God in that or are you not? Because some things never change. So four mountaintops that we've looked at today that are accompanied by that statement, some things never change. Here they are again. God will always value mankind. That's number one. Number two, God will continually remind us of his love and his grace. Number three is sin will always hurt us and those around us. And number four, our plans will always fail if we progress without God. God has so much more for us than we could possibly imagine for ourselves. So four peaks of history, four mountaintops that never change. But look beyond those things and you see something else. It's another mountain. It's not as high as these other mountains. In fact, we call it a hill. It's called a hill of Calvary where Jesus Christ died on a cross. And the reason I want you to see that is because in the same way some things never change, the answer never changes either. And the answer is always going to be Jesus Christ. It's always going to be Jesus Christ that expresses God's love and God's value to you. Always going to be Jesus Christ that shows you the eternal, everlasting covenant of love and forgiveness. Always going to be Jesus Christ that's the answer to the sin that destroys us. Always Jesus Christ is the answer to those plans we have that go awry because they're not God's plans. We run to Jesus. He brings us back to where we need to be. That hill is bigger than all those other mountain peaks because it's the hill upon which Jesus Christ died And then was buried, then rose again the third day. Man, what an incredible God we have. That he takes those things that never change. And he becomes the answer for us when we find ourselves in those places 
doing those things. There's a verse in the New Testament that I love to share. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love, his own love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Jesus is the answer. You know, you look at these mountaintops of truth and you wonder sometimes about how, how it is and what it's like to be in the target of God's wrath. But the answer to that question is Jesus Christ. He became the target of God's wrath. who paid the price for us so that we could have the forgiveness and the grace that God promises. And there's one thing that never changes is Jesus will always invite you to come to him that let him be your Lord, your Savior, your Master, your Guide, the one who can do everything in your life. I want you to consider today the decision that you need to make. You see these four mountaintops of truth we've talked about today. You see these things that never change. And you probably recognize different anchor points in your life that align with them. Maybe you find yourself building something you shouldn't be building. Maybe you find yourself moving in a direction you shouldn't move. Maybe you're considering sin and you think that sin has no other consequences and you forget the domino effect of sin. Or maybe you think you've done something and God cannot forgive you. Look up in the sky. Look at the rainbow. And the testimony of the rainbow will contradict what you feel because it will say, no, God is cutting an everlasting covenant with mankind and that means grace for you. You see, it's really important that you know that God is for you and God wants to take your life and do things you never imagined he could do. But it takes the willingness to let him do it. It takes surrender. And I want to encourage you today to make that decision to surrender to him. It might be you need to surrender for salvation. You may need just to simply say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus because he gave his life to me. And we want to talk to you about that. If you're ready to make that decision, we have what we call decision stations. And the number one thing I'm asking you to do today is to go by that decision station and talk to someone about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to have him be the answer for your life. A second invite I'll give you is to come to guest reception room right outside the center exit door. If you're a guest and uh, you want to know more about our church, I would love to talk to you further, meet you personally. It's right outside the center doors and across the hallway. The last thing I ask of you is go and invite someone to come back with you. We want to have an invite culture where people know you can come here and hear the word of God. You can also come here, bring friends, and they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We have so much good news that we share every single week. I invite you to invite others. Would you stand with me as I close in prayer today? Father, I am so very thankful for all that you do for us through Jesus. I thank you that you're the answer, Lord. That these things that never change really are all answered by Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, for those in the room today, many of us are at the point of needing to make decisions. Decisions about how we'll live, who we'll trust. Decisions about the power of sin in our lives and whether we're willing to ignore the damage that may be taking place. Lord, did I just pray that you move people. Move them and lead them by your Holy Spirit to talk to someone at the decision station, to have further conversations later on today. 
Lord, we just come to you as people who need you. Thank you so much for being there for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.